right. Well, it's good to be with you guys. Uh, for those of you here who don't know me, um, Jeff Bills, I'm uh, Hope's lead pastor, and uh, so Pastor Rick is at the Voorhees campus preaching this morning, and I get to be with you guys, which I love to be here. Um, I like setting up. Um, I'm starting to learn the system a little bit. Um, just for those who are uninitiated, that screen is the hardest thing in the world. To, it's got snaps and it hurts, and so um, when I, anyway. So one of the uh, things about Hope, Lonnie shared how we are one church with two locations, but share um, a common uh, vision and uh, a common practice of ministry and so forth, and that's true. Um, one of the distinctives of Hope Church has always been we accept people where they are and we accept people as they are. We accept people where they are and as they are when they arrive. Um, and when you have that as a distinctive of your church, it makes a huge difference that people can come in and uh, feel at ease, feel, um, you know, like, uh, as somebody just said last week, uh, they were at Hope at the Voorhees campus for the first time. Um, I sent out an email just saying, hey, I'm glad you came. And uh, uh, this guy wrote back and said, I felt like I was at home. And I love that. So that's a distinctive here. And it um, has allowed us to meet a whole variety of people uh, from all kinds of places in their lives. And I was thinking about this. Um, in relationship to this message, uh, there was a guy, I'm going to change names just because this is an ongoing story, and um, so the names are changed, the story is true. Um, so this guy, um, Dan, shows up uh, to uh, Hope at the Voorhees campus, and um, he stands out because he's, he's huge, and, um, and he has a huge chip on his shoulder, you know, like you can just sense that when you meet somebody, when they're carrying a chip on their shoulder. Um, so he clearly didn't want to be there. Uh, it came out fairly quickly that he was just there because a friend of his really pressed him to come. And uh, so he shows up, and, and he's not happy about being there. But something happens while he's there. Uh, he decides, you know, I, the music was surprising. That's not what I expected when I went to church, and I kind of liked it, he says. Um, and I just felt this sense of acceptance, um, and I liked the casualness of it, the informality of it, um, and, uh, and I was a little intrigued by, by the message. And so he came back the following week, and the week after that, and, and he started coming on a, on a regular basis. Um, he fairly early on heard about a small group that was meeting, and they were doing a Bible study, um, and it was led by a husband and wife team, and uh, so uh, called the husband Pete. Uh, so Dan decides to go to this small group Bible study that's going to be meeting for a certain number of weeks, and uh, he is really engaged now in this Bible study, and he's asking all kinds of questions as it's going on, and Pete is uh, um, happy to have the questions and... and uh, it forms kind of a little bond between these two guys. As the Bible study wraps up, it was, I don't know, six or eight weeks, uh, Dan says to Pete, you know, I've still got a couple of questions. Would you mind getting together for lunch? 
And so the two guys met at a restaurant for lunch, and, and Dan asked, you know, whatever questions he had about faith in Christ. And uh, that happened fairly early in the lunch, as I understand it. I wasn't there. And uh, so then there's this awkward pause, just silence that went on far too long. <laughs> Finally, Pete says, so what's preventing you from accepting Jesus, from asking Jesus to forgive your sin and to become the Lord uh, or leader of your life? What's preventing you? And, uh, and Dan looked at him and said, nothing, but I'm not doing it in a restaurant, all right? <laughs> okay. So they had their meal, and, and Pete invited him back to his home, and there in Pete's uh, family room, Dan gave his life to Jesus. And I have had the joy of watching uh, this life become transformed. One of the struggles for Dan, it turns out, was struggles with his past. He had done some things, he said, that he wasn't proud of in his past, and said, and frankly, I'm doing stuff now, and or not doing stuff now that, that I'm not particularly proud of, and, and I just can't imagine that God wants anything to do with me. And one of the things that we needed to share with him was it's not about what you've done or about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done for you. So we're in this little series, this three-week series right now, about opportunities. And the opportunity is opportunity to share your faith with somebody who may not have a faith in Christ. And what would I say if this opportunity presented itself? And um, actually, kind of the genesis of this, I don't know if, uh, if Rick shared this with you guys or not, but uh, kind of what, what sparked this uh, for us to create a series was a few months ago, uh, a guy from Hope, uh, one of the campuses, uh, said to Rick, so I get that we're supposed to share our faith, but give me the elevator speech. You know what an elevator speech is? Right? So it's that idea of if you're a salesman and you have a customer or you're in business and you have uh, your boss and you're in an elevator and you want to pitch an idea or pitch a sale, you've got a very short period of time to make the pitch. Right? So how do you do it in a clear, concise, and compelling way um, if you're in that setting? Right? So... That's, that's the genesis behind this. How do you share your faith in, in a very concise way? What would you say if somebody asked you, which nobody ever will, by the way, ask you what it means to be a Christian, but you may have opportunities to share your faith. And so part of the story, part of the way to talk about it is it's not about what you've done or what you do. It's about what Jesus has done for you. Salvation is not about what you've done. Your salvation is not dependent on what you've done or preventing you from being saved because of what you've done or what you're doing now. It's about what Jesus has done for you. So with that in mind, I want to share a story from the Gospel of John. It's become one of my favorite stories. 
Um, and it is the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. It's, it's a profound story. Every time I read it, there's new nuances that I see in this story. It's the entire chapter, so it's, it's, a, it's a pretty long story. Um, and I'm just going to pull some little pieces out of this story uh, in order to share it with you. And so the, um, the story begins, Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Galilee, uh, heading to Galilee, and they're cutting through uh, Samaria on their way. And so as they're on their way uh, to Galilee, uh, cutting through Samaria, it's midday, it's noon, and they're hot and they're tired, they're thirsty and they're hungry. It's lunchtime. And so they come to a well and, uh, and they stop at this well. And the disciples tell Jesus, you just stay here. We're going to go into town. Um, we're going to hit the Wawa and get some lunch. All right. I don't know if you knew Wawa was that old, but I knew the Wawa thing was probably not going to work, but I tried it anyway. <laughs> Um, so that's what they do. They, they're, uh, Jesus is sitting there, and uh, that's where the story picks up. So beginning with verse 7, reading through verse seven, uh, 7 through 10, this is what it says. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. So there's this little interchange, right? Jesus sitting by this well. He's hungry. He's waiting for lunch. And uh, a woman comes up, and she's, she's there uh, to draw water from this well. And uh, Jesus asks her for a drink. Simple request. And um, it's shocking, though. And the shocking thing about it is that Jesus would have anything to say to this person at all. He broke two conventions here. One is a Jewish man would not engage a woman who's not related to him in a public place in a conversation. That was just not something that you did. It, wasn't, it, it just wasn't done. And she's a Samaritan. So if, you know, you have any background in, in the Bible at all, you know that Samaritans and Jews were not good with each other. And, and I won't go into the whys uh, other than to say that Samaritans um, had a, uh, they were Jews, but their faith had become corrupted by outside influences. So there were, they started adopting um, practices and beliefs and so forth of other religions around them. 
And so faithful Jews saw them as the worst, right? Like they claimed to be Jews, but the Jews didn't accept them as Jewish. Um, their faith had been corrupted, and that was worse than being a Gentile uh, for many Jews. So they hated each other. And here is Jesus now talking to this woman who's a Samaritan. There's no boundaries for Jesus when it comes to the kingdom of God. Jesus isn't concerning himself with, that, with those human boundaries, right? He just sees a human being, a child of God. And when he asks for water and she says, why are you talking to me? Jesus is suddenly aware of an opportunity to tell this woman about the nature of the kingdom of God. It's not about the things that you may think it is. It's about something so much better. He says, if only you knew the gift that God had for you. What an opening line, right? To have that conversation with somebody. If only you knew the gift that God has for you. And, by the way, who you're talking to, you'd be asking me. And I'd be giving you living water. It's a great opening line. So, these opportunities come um, if we listen for them. There are opportunities that we have if we listen for them in our everyday conversations. And I say this and confess to you right up front, I'm not particularly good at this. Right? So I'm not an expert in sharing my faith with strangers. I sh you, you would think I'd be better, right? Like, I went to school for this stuff. I, you know, I practice this stuff. I'm just not very good. I talked to Rick about it. Rick says he's not very good at it either. Um, so you may have really bad pastors. I don't know. Uh, but that's just the reality. But I've gotten better because I see the importance of listening for opportunities and taking opportunities as they come. One of the ways I'm practicing uh, these days is, uh, as many of you know, um, I've got this degenerative vision condition, and so it's gotten to the point where I no longer am able to drive. So I take Uber a lot. Uber's a great place to practice <laughs> because, you know, the driver's trapped in their car, right? And they want five stars from you, you know, after the ride. And uh, so, you know, if I'm bringing up spiritual things, they feel stuck. And, I, and really, I, I'm, I'll tell you more about that. But anyway, uh, so. But I've learned how to do this better from some people who I've observed do this really well. Um, I, I can think of a few people who are particularly good at this. And I've watched them do it, particularly in restaurants. Right? So we sit down, and a waiter or waitress comes over to service, and they immediately engage this person as a human being and not as someone who is hired to serve them. Hey, tell me your name again. Oh, are you from around here? It's great. What are you doing? You know, is this your full-time thing? Are you in school? Because most times they're younger. Um, and so they engage this person in just some conversation about themselves, and it's, it's comfortable and light and so forth. 
Um, and it's just intriguing to watch how they begin to ask them questions that open the opportunity for some deeper, more spiritual kinds of conversations. And sometimes it's things, you know, like, so do you go to church? That's an easy question. Guess what the answer is most times? No. Like, and increasingly, it's no. Like, do people still do that? You know? Um, and, uh, oh, you know, so it, it, they're just really good at asking some questions to open up opportunities for conversation. Sometimes it's sharing something. Hey, you know, I was just reading uh, in this book that I, we're doing in my small group about, you know, and telling the story and, uh, and asking this person what they think and if they hurt you. So it's just finding natural ways to begin a spiritual conversation with somebody. Looking for an opportunity. And if it's clear that the person is uncomfortable or doesn't want to talk about it, they, they don't press. We don't press. Jesus wasn't pressing this woman at the well for this conversation. He was allowing her to kind of lead it. He asked for a thing of water. If she had just given him water, that might have been the end of it. But she was all snarky about it, right? Like, why are you talking to me? And he's saying, well, hey, if you really knew who you were talking to, he just put it out there right, for her to pick up on. The woman at the well pursued the conversation. She was open to having this discussion with this guy. All right, so moving on now in the story. Verse 25, 26 says this. The woman said, yep, sorry about that. That's right, is it right? Okay, I got ahead of myself then. Discuss among yourselves. I'm going to go back to my notes here. Got <laughs> off on a riff. Yeah, so she... Twenty-five, twenty-six. I was right. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ. When he comes... He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus said to her, I'm the Messiah. So she's looking for something. She's looking for something. And Jesus tells her, I'm that something that you're looking for. As this conversation is getting deeper, Jesus decides, you know, it, it's probably time for you to, to get some other people here. Get your husband here. And so he says to her, why don't you go and get your husband and bring him back? And she says, well, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, that, that's true, you don't. As a matter of fact, you've had five husbands. And the man you're living with right now is not your husband. What was Jesus doing there? 
I think what Jesus was doing there was going right to the source of this woman's deepest pain. He just put his finger right on where her deepest pain was. Why five husbands? Did they die? Was there divorce? Was there abandonment? What was going on? And Jesus asked the question. I think it is in our pain, in those places of pain that we all have, where we're most open to hearing the truth. I don't think Jesus, I'm sure Jesus was not judging her at this point. He wasn't wagging his finger. He wasn't putting her down. He wasn't humiliating or embarrassing her. He was simply speaking in to the place of her deepest need and her deepest pain. And I think that same thing is available to us. You know, when, when people are in pain, there's great opportunity for us to speak God's truth, not by judgment and not by quick fix or, or um, you know, platitudes, but just the opportunity to begin a deeper spiritual conversation with somebody. Because it's no longer just about theories and concepts and so forth. It's about where is God in the midst of this pain that you are in right now? Where's, where's God in this? Do you believe that God is in this? It's an opportunity for us to say, you know, I'm going to pray for you in this place of your greatest pain. What do you think of that story that Donna shared? just a, a few moments ago. I, I've had opportunities to speak to her, and um, what, what a powerful testimony. She is in, and she just shared quite openly, you know, some of the pain that she was feeling, some of the struggle that she was in the midst of within her life and feeling so isolated and so alone and seeing this group of women that there was just something different about. And in, you know, in that story, she just she walked up to, to that table of women and said, I'm Donna, and I want what you have. She had no idea. So there's Jesus, you know, just speaking into this woman's heart, putting his finger on her pain with acceptance, with compassion, and with love. What she needed to hear was it's not about what you've done, and it's not about what you're doing now. Salvation isn't about that. The kingdom of God is available because of me, the Messiah. So that's our story, you know, that's how we share our story. It's, it's not about what you've done, it's not about what you do, it's about what's been done for you by Christ.
as the story goes on then, it, um, verse 27 through 30, just as the disciples came back, just then the disciples came back, they were shocked to find Jesus talking to a woman, but, no, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? Stop there for a second. Think about that. They walk up. They've got their bags, you know, wah-wah bags. And here's Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman. And they're shocked. That's not our kind of people. This should not be happening. You shouldn't be talking to her. Do you have those people in your life, those categories of people in your life? The untouchables, the people who you just don't want to be seen around, you don't want to be seen talking to, you certainly don't want to be seen as being friends with? I bet you do. I think we all probably do. And here's the cool thing about Jesus is he didn't and doesn't. There is nothing that anybody is or does or did that disqualifies them from being known and loved by Jesus. Man, that's powerful. That's our example. That's the image that we are seeking to conform to in our own lives. There is nobody beyond his grace. And so the disciples, you know, they, they knew Jesus well enough to know that I don't like what I'm seeing there, but I'm not going to say anything because I don't think that's going to go well, right? So they knew him well enough. They weren't sure why he was doing it, but they knew that they shouldn't challenge it. I like that. Anyway, so, uh, so they don't say anything to her. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. So she has this incredible experience of Jesus, the Messiah, the one who knows all about her and didn't judge her, didn't reject her, didn't... Um, none of that stuff that people might have expected. This guy said, he, he told me everything I ever did. You ought to come see him. You ought to come meet him. Donna's been doing that, you know, talking to her friends, her acquaintances, and saying, man, I found this faith. You ought to come and check it out. When you are known by God, when you are loved by God, 
as you are, where you are. It's a powerful thing. The part that I left out about that in our uh, distinctive, we accept people as they are, we accept people where they are, and we encourage them to take a next step. All of us have a next step to take in our faith journey. And so we just encourage everybody, you know, what's the next step for you in your faith? And so she's running back, she runs back, and she tells all of these folks, you ought to come, you got to meet this guy, and it's a transforming experience for her. You never know when you share your faith with somebody what they're going to do with it. Ravi Zacharias, in talking about the woman at the well, wrote something, and, and I was going to summarize it, but he says it so well that I'm just going to read it to you. Uh, Ravi is a, is a brilliant scholar and uh, apologist for the Christian faith. Ravi said this, She came with a bucket. He sent her back with a spring of living water. She had come as a reject. He sent her back as accepted by God himself. She came wounded. He sent her back whole. She came laden with questions. He sent her back as a source of answers. She came living a life of quiet desperation. She ran back, overflowing with hope. The disciples missed it all. It was lunchtime for them. We miss opportunities because we are so focused on the mundane, I think. Jesus was tired, he was thirsty, he was hungry, but he wasn't going to miss this opportunity to transform this woman's life and heart. And ultimately, it was transformational for her whole village. I won't read this, this last part, but uh, the whole village came out and met Jesus and uh, had this incredible experience with him. They asked him to stay and he spent a couple of days with them. I just I wonder how the disciples handled that. They ended up in Samaria for two days among Samaritans. I wonder how transformational it was for them. Here's what I've discovered is, you know, when there are people that I think um, don't qualify for God's grace, I only think that because I don't know them. And as I get to know people, it's like, oh, how did I ever imagine that God loved them, cared about them any less than anybody else? I hope that was the experience for the disciples in those two days. But it was transformational for a whole lot of people in town. So the encouragement is... Don't miss opportunities. So you may not be somebody who's going to talk to a stranger in an Uber. Um, it's a great place to do it, though. They're stuck. They want their five stars. You know, like, hey. And, and usually they're picking me up at church, so it's easier for me, right? They're picking me up at the church. So I do have that. You know, like, were you at a meeting there? What, do you, what were you doing there is often the first question. And uh, I say, yeah, no, I just had a meeting. Do you go to church? 
uh, and there's always a story, right? It's always a story. It's never, not never, it's rarely no. If that's all it is, then I know they don't want to talk about it. But it's often a story. So don't miss these opportunities. Maybe the opportunity is for people that you know. And that's one of the things we want to encourage you in this series to do is, is to think about who is God putting in your path? Friends, coworkers, um, family members that you can begin a spiritual conversation with. Because once we get over our own you know, discomfort and I don't know what I'd say and so forth, um, it's intriguing what can happen. And here's probably what's going to happen for those of you who may have never tried this. They're going to ask you something and you're not going to know the answer. And then what do you do? Here's what I would do. Man, that's a great question. I have no idea. But let's find out. You know? let's, let's ask somebody. Let's, I mean, in a pinch, you could say, let's Google it. But I hope you don't. <laughs> Who knows what you're going to get there. But, um, but, but don't let that fear of, I don't know what I would say keep you from this opportunity. Because here's the thing. That person that it would be on your list, God loves more than you ever could. God accepts in ways that would blow your mind. And God wants to give them this living water that will transform their lives. The whole reason we're in Mount Laurel is we want to create a space like we've created in Voorhees where people like Dan can come in and find acceptance, be fully accepted as he is, and encouraged to take a next step in his faith. Let me pray for us. As the band, you guys are coming up, right? So God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the example that he set. Thank you that none of us, despite what we have done, despite what we might be doing now, is beyond your ability and desire to love us, to accept us, to invite us into the kingdom of God, to give us a deep drink from living water. And so, Lord, we want to be effective witnesses for your kingdom in the lives of the people that we touch. Give us the boldness. Give us the opportunity. Give us the discernment to know when and how to speak and when to be silent. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.